Turn, if you will, in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. It's been a while since we have looked at this book, so I'm eager to get back in it. And we are in chapter 11 of Mark. It is our privilege to sit under the authority of God's Word, as we do week by week. If you'll recall from the previous messages in Mark that Jesus has just recently made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem to the shouts of Hosanna, those that greeted him. And then in our last sermon in this book, we saw that Jesus went into the temple and he cleansed the temple. And he drove out those who were buying and selling. He drove out the money changers. He turned over the tables. He drove out those that were buying and selling. And he said that the house, this temple, should be a house of prayer for all nations. And remember that Mark takes this account of the cleansing of the temple and he places it. He interrupts another story about the cursing of the fig tree. He interrupts that story and makes a, a sandwich, if you will, out of the whole episode to teach us something very important. And he, in doing that, he, he showed us that judgment was coming upon Jerusalem and that the temple would be destroyed. Christ is now the temple in the new covenant. The time of the physical temple is nearly over here in Mark chapter 11. And Christ has come to fulfill all that the temple represented. It's not surprising that this cleansing of the temple has caused more than a little stir among the religious leaders there. And their response is what we see here in our text, beginning with chapter, or verse 27. In fact, this interchange with Jesus and the religious leaders is the first of six controversies as they are forced to reckon with Christ and his authority. Each of these accounts, of course, has a lesson for us. But in this passage, we see Christ's divine wisdom and divine authority displayed. So let us read our text. But before we do, let us pray and ask God's blessing upon the reading and the preaching of his word. Let us pray. Lord, we come before you desiring to sit under your authority and Lord, we thank you that you have given us your word, you have revealed yourself to us in it, and we pray, O oh God, that it would be effective tonight in working faith in our hearts. Lord, we pray especially for those that may not know you, that they would come under your authority, and may we all, believer and unbeliever alike, have a fresh understanding of the authority of Christ. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my rock and our redeemer. Amen. Mark chapter 11, beginning with verse 27. And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priest and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question, answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. 
So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Amen. And we praise God that he has spoken to us in his holy and inerrant word. I am a child of the 1980s. And if there's one thing that us 80s kids know, or at least we think we know, we think we know our music. And I remember as a younger person, um, and, and probably several times since, in listening to the music of John Cougar Mellencamp, singing along with the words that said, I fight authority and authority always wins. And that song is basically about how the singer is always down. He's always oppressed by authority. But somehow he always manages yet to come out on top in spite of the oppression of the authority against them, against him. Little did I know what postmodern thoughts were being embedded in my mind from that song. Because you see, along with its rejection of objective truth, postmodernism has told us that we need to throw off authority. That authority is bad, especially religious authority. Postmodernists have become a rule to themselves, much like the religious leaders of Jesus' day. These men were the ones with power, and Jesus had come, and in the cleansing of the temple, he had threatened that authority. He came not as a postmodern revolutionary, but as the one in whom rests all true authority and power. Christ's authority and power were shown here, and the leaders were incensed. I want us to look at this text under three headings tonight. The authority challenged, Christ's wisdom on display, and the authority established. The authority challenged. This idea of authority is one that, that we have seen really from the opening verses, nearly the opening verses of the Gospel of Mark. It's all throughout, and it's a theme that Mark brings out, like I said, even from the earliest pages of the book. In chapter 1, the people were astonished at Christ's teaching because he taught with authority. Because he taught not as the scribes, but as one that had authority. In chapter 2, much to the dismay of the scribes, he not only healed a paralytic, but he also took it one step further and showed his authority by cleansing the sins of that same man. The scribes have been troubled by Jesus for most of his earthly ministry, but now it's at a whole new level. Jesus is in the temple courts, and the chief priests and the leaders, the scribes and elders, come to him and question him. And they put forth these two questions to him that we see in verse 28. They say, by what authority do you do these things? Are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority to do them? Really, those questions are, are so closely paralleled. They're nearly the same, although, excuse me, the second one seems to make it more pointed. They're saying, who gave you the authority? Where did you get the authority to do what you have done? These things that, that scripture, um, this verse talks about, is the cleansing of the temple, very likely. When Jesus had driven out the money changers and those who were buying and selling. And this was, of course, right on the heels of the, his entry into Jerusalem, which likely upset them as well. And they're demanding an answer. They did not give him this authority. So they're saying, where did you get this authority that you are assuming? Who does he think he is, they seem to be saying. 
Doesn't he know that we own this town? They were condescending to Christ and wanted to remind him that they were the dispensers of religious authority. These chief priests and scribes together make up the Sanhedrin, the, the, the ruling council, the Jewish council. And these men relished the authority that they had. They really didn't have any political authority because they were still under the thumb of the Romans. And yet the Romans, while they exercised great political and, and military power, they allowed the Jewish people to worship largely in the way that they chose if they followed the rules in doing that. And these leaders held that power closely to them. They had a system in which they kept that power. They had a system in which only those they granted that power were allowed to join their exclusive club. But Christ's authority was different. He didn't ask for their blessing. He came with his own authority. And he showed that throughout his ministry. It was seen in his healing of many people. It was seen in the forgiveness of sins. It was seen in the, in the casting out of demons. It was seen in his baptism and transfiguration as a voice came from heaven, giving credibility to his and authority to his ministry. But they were rejecting all of that and were challenging Jesus directly on this issue of authority. We see next in Christ's response to them the great wisdom that is displayed in his question. And we see that in the question that he counters to them. This question shows that Jesus is bold. He says in, I believe it's verse 28, um, I'm sorry, 29, he says, answer me. And he addresses them directly, demanding an answer of them. He is not afraid to match them at their own game. Jesus is bold. Not only that, Jesus is honest. His question was not evasive. His, it was a common rabbinical method to answer a question with another question. And it showed great wisdom if, if the rabbi, if the teacher could help the person that asked the first question to answer that question in answering the second question. And that's just exactly what Jesus is doing quite effectively here. Jesus is honest. Jesus is also careful in his reply. He is careful in how he phrases the question. He's careful in the question that he puts to them because it exposes their hearts. Jesus is careful in making sure that he is not revealed and not taken and arrested and brought to the cross one day before his time is due. He still has much to teach the disciples. Jesus is also discerning of their hearts. He says that, that there are only two sources for power. And he puts this question to them in verse 30. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? In 10 short words, he puts this question before them and helps the, and, and forces them to wrestle with the baptism of John. And shows them that there's only two places that the power can come from. Either from heaven or from men. And we see as Jesus draws them into this discussion. In pointing this question to them about John the Baptist's ministry. It says his baptism, but that signifies all of his ministry. 
in doing that, Jesus is really making them wrestle with who he is. Because you see that John the Baptist's ministry and Christ's ministry were, were so closely paralleled that to deny one was to deny the other. We know, of course, that John and Jesus were cousins, but beyond family relationships, we see that John has baptized the Lord Jesus Christ. He has given his blessing upon Christ, and we see that beginning the, as the beginning of Christ's earthly ministry. John was also bold to say that he was the forerunner of Christ. He said that there's one coming after me whose shoes I'm not worthy to loosen. He's saying that, that Christ is coming, and he said when, when Jesus came to be baptized, he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. And John was regarded as a prophet by the people. They saw his mannerisms. They saw the, the parallel with Elijah. They heard his call to repentance. And they saw what he, how he viewed the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jesus puts this question before the leaders, and he says, What about the ministry of John? Was it from heaven, or is it simply from man? And we see in that, up against Christ and his wisdom, really the true nature of these leaders. Because up against Christ's boldness, we see the cowardly, and pragmatic answer that these men gave. They had to discuss it among themselves. They had to think about the implications of what they said. They had to say, well, well, if we say this, well, then, then how is this going to be received by the people? And if we say this, we don't know. And so they're just weighing this out, and they're all concerned about what the people think. They were cowardly and pragmatic. And secondly, where Christ was honest and, and a lover of the truth, they were dishonest. They were unconcerned with theological truth. They were not concerned with what is some has been called true truth. They were weighing the political consequences of their answer. They knew they could not say from heaven because that would expose their own unbelief of his ministry. Because they really did not trust John's ministry because it would have been a threat to their own authority. Yet the people trusted John's ministry, saw him as a prophet, saw him as being one from God. They said that if they said that it was only for men, they dared not even speak of the consequences. And Mark, in, in, it's so interesting how Mark says it there in um, verse 32. He says, but... They're, they're speaking and they say, but shall we say from man? And it, it, they just kind of trail off. And you picture them huddled in a circle, looking at each other wide-eyed and, and frightened at what might happen to them if they actually say that John's ministry was simply from men. They were afraid of the people, Scripture tells us there in verse 32, because the people held that John was a prophet they were afraid of men, but they feared not God. They were only concerned with how they looked and what people thought of them. They were like those of whom the psalmist and the apostle said there was no fear of God before their eyes. Their theology, for which they wanted to be known, was simply a facade. 
And Jesus is exposing that. He, exposed, he is exposing their willful rejection of the truth. We've seen Christ's authority challenged, and we've seen his wisdom displayed in the counter-question that he gives to these leaders. And through that display of wisdom, we see his authority is established. We know, of course, that he has had authority before. This is simply establishing it further and helping us understand more of his authority. We see it in Christ's words. We see it that Jesus sets the conditions of the, the discussion. Jesus also humbles his enemies. Remember that this occurred in a public place there in the temple, the place where he had just cleansed a day or two before. There's people around. And here the leaders, the religious leaders of the people were humbled and their hypocrisy was exposed. Jesus refused to answer. He would not be bullied by them. It was not his time. We see his authority established not only in his words, but in his actions. And there's such a, a beautiful irony here in this. Because we know that in just a few days, these same leaders will bring Jesus to trial. And they think they have the upper hand. They think that their authority has been established. And they think they've got him. In just a few days, it will be the time of his death, and he'll die the cruelest and bloodiest death known to man at that time. And we know his suffering was so much greater because of our sin. Christ's humiliation would be complete. But in that action of his death upon the cross and his glorious resurrection... He has canceled the record of our debt, as Colossians 2 tells us. And he has disarmed the rulers and authority and put them to open shame, triumphing over them. The irony in all of this is that by his obedience and humility, Christ accomplished all that he came to do. And in his sacrifice, he won. And now as the... Writer of Philippians tells us, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Philippians 2, 9-11. through 11. We see Christ's authority established in his actions because he was victorious over death. And finally, we see Christ's authority established in his call. And we have to land here because Christ calls us to something. Christ's authority demands something of you and me. What do we do in the face of true authority? We submit. That's what we do. That's much easier said than done. When I was 18 years old, I was on my way home from my girlfriend's house, who is now my wife, and going much faster than I probably should have been. I know I should have been. And um, passed a car on a county road, and the car turned around, and soon I saw red lights behind me. And it was a highway patrolman that was pulling me over. And, and back in those days, instead of keeping you in their car, um, he invited me to sit beside him in his patrol car. And I was thinking about how much the ticket might be and um, 
how bad it was going to be, um, thinking of ways that I might convince him to lessen the, the, the effects of, of my sin and my crime. And so it, it occurred to me that this man was a highway patrolman, and I was on a county road. And so I asked him, I said, sir, do you have jurisdiction on a county road? And he looked at me kind of sideways and pointed to the patch on his shoulder. He said, you see that? State of Kansas. It didn't matter where I was in the state. He had jurisdiction over me. I knew when I needed to shut up, and I did. And I took my ticket and drove much slower the rest of the way home. And I was thinking about that. What a pathetic attempt that was at an excuse in the face of a crime that I had committed. And I want to ask you, what about you? When you meet God at the judgment day, any excuse before the authority of Christ the King will sound even more pathetic than mine did that night. Because his jurisdiction is everywhere and his judgment is eternal. You see, God has revealed his, himself to us. He has given us a way to understand his rule and authority. It's in his word. It's right here. But so many place themselves above the authority of God's word and become a law to themselves, much in the way that the scribes and the, and the Pharisees and the leaders of the Jewish people did in Jesus' day. They trust in their own reasoning. But we all must face the ultimate authority. And if you're here tonight, if you are within the sound of my voice and you are outside of Christ's family, today is the day of salvation. He issues a call to you to humbly submit to his authority. He said, as we have so often said, as we've looked at Mark, this call that went forth in, in Mark chapter 8, where he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And then he says, for whoever would lose his life will save it. Whoever will save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his own soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? If you are here tonight and outside of Christ, I invite you, come to Christ. Place your faith and trust in him. Repent and believe the gospel. For those of you that that are his children, the same call goes forth to you to continue to believe and to continue to submit. For even though those of us within the church who recognize the authority of Christ's word, so often it is so hard for us, often it's hard for us to believe, often it's hard for us to obey. But we recognize that his way is good. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Come to Christ today. Amen. Let us pray.